This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, the government asks a federal court to throw out Obamacare. Somebody very high up in the Justice Department or perhaps in the White House decided to use this case as an opportunity for throwing another bomb at the Affordable Care Act. Getting a court to do what Congress wouldn't when Radio Health Journal returns. I'm Nancy Benson, host of Radio Health Journal. If you enjoy Radio Health Journal, you'll also like our sister show. Here's a preview of what they're covering on Viewpoints this week. This week on Viewpoints. The issues are very serious, but there may be an advantage creatively to be playful, to be surprising. Serious play, using theater performance to advance social movements and civil rights. Then... How diversity in picture books can influence a child's perspective on social issues for years to come. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. Listen to Viewpoints on your favorite radio station, iTunes and Stitcher. Most people call the Affordable Care Act the signature legislation of the Obama administration. That fact alone is enough to make getting rid of it one of the signature aims of his successor and the current congressional majority. But legislators haven't managed much. It's true that in the new tax law, Congress torpedoed the requirement that everyone have insurance by zeroing out the tax penalties enforcing it. Beyond that, legislators have largely whiffed on their efforts to repeal Obamacare. But if Congress won't do it, maybe the courts will do it for them. Certainly Democrats have been accusing the Trump administration of deliberately sabotaging the individual markets created under the ACA. And you know, to me, this is a continuation of those attempts. That's Dr. Paul Ginsburg, director of the Schaefer Initiative for Health Policy at the University of Southern California and the Brookings Institution. He says there have been plenty of lawsuits against the ACA over the past few years, most of them amounting to not much. The most recent one, Texas versus Azar, filed in federal court by Texas and 19 other red states, seemed like just one more, at least until the government decided not to defend its own law, agreeing, in essence, that the court should find Obamacare unconstitutional. The legal community was not taking this lawsuit very seriously as far as something with a good chance of prevailing. And people started paying attention to it only when the Trump administration decided not to defend the ACA against the suits. You know, there have been lots of suits like this that people haven't paid a lot of attention, and many of them have failed. I don't think this was perceived as an important threat until the action that the Trump administration took, which I don't know if it made it an important threat, but it certainly made it much more visible. It looks pretty clear that at the last moment, somebody very high up in the Justice Department or perhaps in the White House decided to use this case as an opportunity for throwing another bomb at the Affordable Care Act and switch sides. And that wasn't expected by most observers. I think virtually everyone who's commented on this, well, most of the people who've commented on the case, from a legal standpoint, view it as being a pretty frivolous case. Timothy Jost is Emeritus Professor of Law at Washington and Lee University and an expert on health law. Basically, they have a activist judge who in the past has 
shown a good deal of hostility to the Affordable Care Act and who was handpicked by Texas. I mean, there's no reason why a case of this magnitude would be filed in Wichita Falls, Texas, except that they knew that they had a judge who was going to be favorably inclined to anything they asked. I think they're going for a home run here and are hoping that the judge will essentially repeal some very important provisions of the Affordable Care Act that Congress refused to repeal. But Jost says that refusal was the result of a few things in Obamacare that many legislators actually like, especially a guarantee of coverage for pre-existing conditions. That's important because the court will be considering the intent of Congress, both when it passed the ACA and the tax cut law last year that affected it. A variety of outcomes are possible. Ginsburg says the court could uphold the law completely, or it could rule against only parts of it. For example, eliminating only guaranteed issue and community rating, the requirement that insurers offer a policy to everyone at the same price, regardless of health. I think what you would have is for those eligible for subsidies based on their income, they would continue to have a viable individual market because to the degree that premiums increased as a result of those policies, their subsidies would automatically go up. Since they are just on the hook to pay a certain percentage of their income on health insurance, I think what it would do is wipe out most, if not all, of the market for non-subsidized individuals. Ginsburg says with only a partial invalidation of the ACA, higher-paid, self-employed people who depend on the individual health insurance market would be unable to get coverage, at least not at a reasonable cost. But there's yet a third possible outcome. The state of Texas is arguing that all of the ACA is unconstitutional, even the popular parts. They say if the individual responsibility is unconstitutional, the entire rest of the ACA collapses. And that's just ridiculous. I mean, as even the United States acknowledged in its brief, most of the provisions of the Affordable Care Act have nothing to do with the individual responsibility requirement. And clearly, Congress did not intend to get rid of them when it zeroed out the tax penalty. With the Justice Department on the sidelines, defense of the law has been picked up by 17 attorneys general from blue states. And the dust-up has more people wondering for the first time since 2012 if Obamacare is in serious legal danger. Jost says there's a short-term threat if the district federal court rules against it because he believes the law would be upheld on appeal. But you never know. If it goes through, and if the position of the United States is accepted, then I think the individual market collapses. And it would be very difficult, for example, to administer the premium tax credits in an environment where each individual is separately underwritten by the insurers. And so if that happens, the people with pre-existing conditions, which is millions and millions of Americans, might find it very hard to get health insurance, would have to pay much higher rates. People who are older would have to pay higher rates. People who are women would probably have to pay higher rates. Many people couldn't get health insurance at all because of serious pre-existing conditions. And frankly, the individual market as we now know it would collapse. But it's not just people who already depend on the individual health market who'd be hurt if all of Obamacare is declared unconstitutional. 
That's because more than 100 million Americans may have what could be defined as a pre-existing condition. And insurers could once again discriminate against them, denying coverage or charging much higher rates. And Ginsburg says that could start to freeze up some economic activity that we now enjoy, locking people in jobs to keep their insurance and keeping them from the gig economy or entrepreneurial endeavors. There's, at least anecdotally, I mean, a lot of people felt freed up to uh, start new businesses because they didn't have to worry about losing their health insurance. So I think you certainly lose that. But also the general issue of job lock would return. You know, the political support for the ACA by the public, you know, this protection against pre-existing condition rules and higher premiums for pre-existing conditions is one of the most popular parts of the Affordable Care Act. It resonates with the general population because so many of them, if they lost their job, or if they wanted to leave their company, you know, would be in big trouble of not being able to be insured at a premium that they can afford. However, that wouldn't happen everywhere. Nearly half of the states have rules that require guaranteed issue and ban pre-existing condition clauses. If Obamacare were declared unconstitutional, something that would probably take a Supreme Court ruling, we'd revert back to those laws in states that have them. States ability to regulate individual insurance would prevent some of the end of federal requirements from impacting their markets. I think you'd have a checkerboard of some states where the individual market for non-subsidized people would still be viable and other states that it wouldn't be. The administration has touted easier access to association health plans as an alternative to the individual market for some people. But Ginsburg doesn't think they'll amount to much. People might enroll in them. We know from the experience of association health plans that they're very vulnerable to fraud. You know, Many who have enrolled have found out that they're not covered because the association health plan went under. They're not regulated by anyone. So, you know, this might work for some people for a while, but for the most part, uh, this is not a solution. And basically, association health plans add to the risk of fracturing the market to the degree that you can pull the healthy people out of this market. The remainder of the people are more expensive on a per-person basis, and the result is that premiums go up. But no one in the individual market may be immune from higher premiums, no matter how the Texas case is decided. That's because health insurers are trying to set prices for next year now, and they're not sure what rules will be in effect because of the court case. We know that when insurers face a lot of uncertainty about how to price, they price high. You know, it's often been pointed out that the insurers are very good at pooling risks, but you know, no better than anyone else in dealing with uncertainty. And certainly insurers in the early years of the Affordable Care Act lost a lot of money. They appear to have gotten past that. And for 2019, we're seeing indications of actually greater enthusiasm for insurers participating in the marketplaces. But the uncertainty about this lawsuit may very well be leading, you know, dampening that interest or leading those insurers that are in the market to pricing higher than they would otherwise just for the risk that the environment that they're working in 
radically changes. So what's the end game for the administration in not defending the law? Ginsburg and Jost agree that the court challenge to Obamacare is more of a big-picture effort. It's not really intended to end in court, but in Congress. I think the underlying motive of the administration here, at least, is to force the issue back into Congress and force Congress to repeal the Affordable Care Act, which they refused to do in 2017. I suspect the end game is to make it so that the ACA is really not working for people anymore, and they are put in a stronger position to work with Democrats in Congress to come up with you know, revisions to the ACA that uh, would not be supported today by Democrats and perhaps some Republicans as well in a sense to uh, you know, blow it up so that your opposition will come to the table. You can find out more about all of our guests on our website, RadioHealthJournal.net. You can also find archives of our programs there and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm Reed Pence. A first-ever large-scale study of dementia rates among older lesbian, gay, and bisexual adults finds they are similar to rates in the general population, but their access to health care may be markedly less. Research reported at the 2018 Alzheimer's Association International Conference finds that high rates of depression, stroke, and heart disease in the study population may contribute to the level of dementia. Dr. Heather Snyder of the Alzheimer's Association. The number of people living with Alzheimer's disease dementia is increasing, as is the population of LGBT older adults. Respectful and responsive healthcare outreach to LGBT communities could result in earlier diagnosis and better outcomes. LGBT individuals access services such as healthcare less often than others and are twice as likely to age alone. Their unique challenges make access to information and resources a challenge. This underscores the Alzheimer's Association's role for the LGBT community as a place to turn for guidance and support. Do you often misplace your keys, forget names, or lose your train of thought? You may be one of over 10 million Americans with undiagnosed MCI, or mild cognitive impairment. The Banner Alzheimer's Institute estimates 65% of MCI patients eventually develop dementia. But the good news, according to Ohio State University neurologist Dr. Douglas Share, is... While there's currently no cure for Alzheimer's disease, the most common type of dementia, the earlier we detect mild cognitive impairment, the better chance we have to treat it and delay progression of the disease. Fortunately, there's now a 15-minute at-home screening test called Brain Test, clinically validated to detect MCI. And for a limited time, you can receive a 30-day free trial to Brain Test by visiting braintest.com. The sooner you screen, the more treatment options available, so don't delay. Again, for your 30-day free trial, visit braintest.com. That's braintest.com. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.